Hi, everyone. This is Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Before we get started with this episode of the podcast, I just want to tell you about a new project I'm developing called MedPrep to Go. The idea here is to create a free online and audio USMLE question bank for both Step 1 and Step 2, with the overall goal of reducing the cost of medical education and giving you time back in your day, just like we're doing with this podcast. It's still early in the process, and we're adding a lot of questions and new episodes of the podcast regularly, but I'd love to have you go check it out at medpreptogo.com. And if you're interested in getting involved in developing questions for this question bank and getting some mentoring directly from me on how to develop questions, I'd love to have you involved. You can email me at ted.medpreptogo at gmail.com or you can go over to medpreptogo.com and sign up through the website. So thanks so much for uh, listening and enjoy the podcast. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Hello, everyone. It's Patrick here. I'm the founder of the Inside the Boards podcast, back today with another question for the USMLE Step 2 Secrets podcast, thanks to Elsevier's Clinical Key. A 58-year-old African-American male visits his primary care doctor for a routine medical evaluation. Six months prior, he had a series of visits for an elevated systolic blood pressure ranging from 160 to 165 millimeters of mercury. His diastolic blood pressures were from 90 to 100 millimeters of mercury. He implemented lifestyle changes, but they did not significantly reduce his blood pressure which today is 162 over 92. His physical exam is unremarkable. Labs, including a complete blood count, comprehensive metabolic panel, thyroid function tests, and a lipid profile are all normal. An EKG is also normal. Which of the following antihypertensive regimens is the best to initiate for this patient? Is it A, alpha blocker monotherapy, B, an angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor combined with an alpha blocker, C, calcium channel blocker monotherapy, or D, a thiazide diuretic combined with a calcium channel blocker. And the correct answer here is choice D a thiazide diuretic combined with a calcium channel blocker. So, in the general population without diabetes or chronic kidney disease, the first-line agents to treat high blood pressure include thiazide diuretics, calcium channel blockers, and ACE inhibitors or an angiotensin receptor blocker. In African Americans, a thiazide or calcium channel blocker, either alone or in combination, is first-line therapy. The blood pressure goal for this patient, given his age, is less than 140 over 90. With a systolic blood pressure greater than 20 over that goal, or 10 over the diastolic goal, a combination therapy is recommended. To briefly look at some of these other answer choices, option A, 
was an alpha blocker. So an alpha blocker such as terazosin or tamsulosin, that's incorrect. Alpha blockers can be used to treat hypertension, but they are not an initial drug of choice and can cause orthostatic hypotension. Option B was an angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor combined with an alpha blocker. So ACE inhibitors and alpha blockers are not recommended first line as a combination. Choice C was a calcium channel blocker only. Calcium channel blocker is a reasonable agent. However, this patient's blood pressure warrants combination therapy with a thiazide and calcium channel blocker. In summary, stage 2 hypertension is a systolic blood pressure greater than 140 and a diastolic blood pressure greater than 90. Stage 2 hypertension should receive combination therapy. Alpha blockers are not routinely used in hypertension but can be considered for men with symptomatic benign prostatic hyperplasia. And now, let's get back to step two secrets. This is Ted O'Connell, and this is the hypertension chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. How often should you screen for hypertension? The United States Preventative Services Task Force recommends annual screening for adults aged 40 years or older and for those who are at increased risk for high blood pressure. Persons at increased risk include those who have high normal blood pressure, 130 to 139 over 85 to 89 millimeters of mercury, those who are overweight or obese, and African Americans. Adults aged 18 to 39 with normal blood pressure, less than 130 over 85, who do not have other risk factors, should be rescreened every three to five years. Question 2. Define hypertension. Persistent blood pressure greater than 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury. Individuals with a systolic blood pressure of 120 to 139 millimeters of mercury or a diastolic pressure of 80 to 89 millimeters of mercury should be considered as prehypertensive. Remember that 145 over 60 is hypertension, as is 115 over 95 isolated systolic or diastolic hypertension respectively. In grading the severity of hypertension, use the worst number, whether it be diastolic or systolic. See Table 18.1 for the 2003 JNC7 classification. Note that this classification system was not addressed in the updated 2013 JNC8 guidelines. I'm going to try to say it out here. A systolic blood pressure of less than 120 over 80 is normal. 120 to 139 over 80 to 89 is prehypertension. 140 to 159 over 90 to 99 is stage 1 hypertension. And greater than 160 over 100 is stage 2 hypertension. Question 3. What is the two-measurement rule in the diagnosis of hypertension? The blood pressure should be measured two times on two separate office visits before the diagnosis and pharmacologic treatment of hypertension. However, if asked, institute conservative measures, which will be addressed below, and address associated comorbidities such as obesity and diabetes after the first abnormal measurement. There are a few important exceptions to the start conservative and remeasure strategy, however, and more aggressive approaches are gaining favor. 
Patients with marked blood pressure elevations, generally over 200, over 120, and acute target organ damage, such as encephalopathy, myocardial infarction, unstable angina, pulmonary edema, or stroke, require hospitalization and parenteral drug therapy. Patients with markedly elevated blood pressure but without target organ damage usually do not require hospitalization but should be given immediate combination oral antihypertensive therapy, which will be discussed below. In pregnant women, preeclampsia may be the cause of hypertension. Waiting to treat in this setting can have devastating consequences to the mother and the fetus. Question 4. When should you initiate therapy for hypertension for various groups according to JNC8? What are the blood pressure targets in these groups? The general population less than 60 years should get therapy initiated when blood pressure is over 140 over 90 with a gold blood pressure of under 140 over 90. The general population over age 60 should have therapy initiated when blood pressure is over 150 over 90 with a goal blood pressure under 150 over 90. And individuals over 18 years of age with chronic kidney disease or diabetes should have therapy initiated when blood pressure is over 140 over 90, with the goal being under 140 over 90. Question 5. What are the conservative treatments for hypertension? Dietary changes such as low-salt, low-fat, low-calorie, reduced smoking and alcohol intake, Weight loss and exercise may each have a positive effect on blood pressure and in some cases get the patient back into the normotensive range. For stage 1 hypertension, it is reasonable to give a 1-2 to two month trial of lifestyle modifications before starting medication. In patients with stage 2 hypertension or those with diabetes or renal disease, early pharmacologic treatment is often preferred. Question 6. List the first-line medications for treatment of hypertension. JNC-8 recommends treatment with a thiazide diuretic, ACE inhibitor, angiotensin receptor blocker or ARB, or calcium channel blocker in the general population. There are a few groups for whom treatment is more specific. In the general black population, including those with diabetes, Initial antihypertensive treatment should include a thiazide diuretic or calcium channel blocker. In the population aged 18 years or older with chronic kidney disease and hypertension, initial or add-on antihypertensive treatment should include an ACE inhibitor or ARB to improve kidney outcomes. This applies to all chronic kidney disease patients with hypertension, regardless of race or diabetes status. In some cases, Medications from multiple classes may be needed to reach blood pressure goals. Beta blockers and alpha blockers are not recommended for initial management of hypertension. So thiazides should be used in patients with heart failure, diabetes, high risk for coronary artery disease or stroke, and osteoporosis, and should be avoided in patients with gout, electrolyte disturbances such as hyponatremia, and pregnancy. Beta blockers should be used in patients with stable angina, acute coronary syndrome or unstable angina, acute or prior myocardial infarction, high risk for coronary artery disease, atrial tachycardia or atrial fibrillation, thyrotoxicosis in the short term, essential tremor, and migraines. Beta blockers should be avoided in patients with asthma, COPD, heart block, and sick sinus syndrome. 
ACE inhibitors should be used in patients with heart failure, diabetes, acute coronary syndrome and unstable angina, acute or prior myocardial infarction, acute risk for coronary artery disease or stroke, and chronic kidney disease, and should be avoided in patients with pregnancy and generally women of childbearing age, angioedema, and renovascular hypertension because it may cause renal failure. ARBs should be used in patients with heart failure, diabetes, and chronic kidney disease, and should be avoided in patients with pregnancy and generally in women of childbearing age and renovascular hypertension. Calcium channel blockers should be used in patients with Raynaud syndrome and atrial tachyarrhythmias, and avoided in patients with heart block, sick sinus syndrome, congestive heart failure, and pregnancy. Question 7. What about women of reproductive age and pregnant women with hypertension? Labetalol, hydralazine, and alpha-methyldopa are safe. If preeclampsia is present, remember that magnesium sulfate lowers blood pressure. Question 8. Define hypertensive urgency. How is it different from hypertensive emergency? Hypertensive urgency is defined as blood pressure greater than 200 over 120 without symptoms. Hypertensive emergency is defined as blood pressure greater than 200 over 120 with symptoms or evidence of end-organ damage. Examples include acute left ventricular failure, chest pain or angina, myocardial infarction, encephalopathy, watch for headaches, confusion, retinal hemorrhages, papilledema, mental status changes, vomiting, blurry vision, dizziness, and or seizures, or those with acute renal failure from necrotizing arteriolitis. If the patient is asymptomatic and has good follow-up, the patient with hypertensive urgency may be discharged home to his or her primary care physician. Hypertensive urgency is typically treated with oral furosemide, clonidine, or captopril. There are many treatment options for hypertensive emergency, but intravenous nitroprusside, labetalol, and nicardipine are the most common. Do not lower blood pressure more than 25% over the first several hours. Question 9. What causes hypertension? Roughly 90-95% to of cases are idiopathic, multifactorial, or essential hypertension. About 5-10% to of cases are due to secondary, known causes. Question 10. What are the common causes of secondary hypertension in younger men and women? In younger men, a common cause of secondary hypertension is excessive alcohol intake. Get the patient to quit. In younger women, common and classic causes are birth control pills and renal artery stenosis from fibromuscular dysplasia, which may cause a brewery and should be treated with balloon angioplasty. Question 11. List less common causes of secondary hypertension. Pheochromocytoma. Look for wild swings in blood pressure with diaphoresis, headache, and confusion. As a screening test, order a 24-hour urine collection to assess catecholamine products, metanephrines, vanillomandelic acid, and homovanillic acid. Pheochromocytoma is treated surgically after giving alpha blockers and then beta blockers. Renal artery stenosis. Unlike young patients with fibromuscular dysplasia, elderly patients typically have renal artery stenosis due to atherosclerosis. A renal artery brewery is classically present, although not sensitive. 
MR or conventional angiography makes the definitive diagnosis. Giving ACE inhibitors to patients with renal artery stenosis may precipitate acute renal failure if the stenosis is bilateral, sometimes the first diagnostic clue to its presence. Renal artery stenosis is treated with angioplasty or stenting. Polycystic kidney disease. Look for a flank mass, positive family history, it's an autosomal dominant pattern of inheritance, and elevations in creatinine and blood urea nitrogen. Cushing syndrome. Look for stigmata of Cushing syndrome on exam. Order a 24-hour urine collection to assess free cortisol or a dexamethasone suppression test. Treat with surgical resection of the tumor. Kahn syndrome. The cause is an aldosterone-secreting adrenal neoplasm. Look for high aldosterone levels, low renin levels, hypernatremia, hypokalemia, metabolic alkalosis, and or an adrenal mass on computed tomography. The screening test of choice is the plasma aldosterone to plasma renin activity ratio. A ratio of greater than 30 is indicative of primary hyperaldosteronism. Treat with surgical resection of the tumor. Coarctation of the aorta. Look for hypertension in the upper extremities only with unequal pulses, radiofemoral delay, and rib notching on chest radiograph associated with Turner syndrome. MRI or angiography makes a definitive diagnosis. Treat with surgical repair of the coarctation. Renal failure from any cause. In children, watch for post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis or hemolytic uremic syndrome. Question 12. What does lowering blood pressure accomplish? Hypertension is the number one modifiable risk factor for strokes. Lowering blood pressure decreases heart disease, myocardial infarctions, atherosclerosis, stroke risk, renal failure, and dissecting aortic aneurysms. Question 13. What is the most common cause of death among untreated patients with hypertension? The same is for the general population, coronary artery disease. Question 14. Which test should be ordered for every patient with a diagnosis of hypertension? Why? Number one, electrocardiogram to determine whether the heart has been affected, for example, left ventricular hypertrophy. Two, chemistry seven panel, that is, a basic metabolic panel. Clues to possible secondary cause of hypertension, such as electrolyte disturbance and Kahn syndrome, and to evaluate for diabetes. Three, a urinalysis provides clues to possible secondary cause of hypertension such as red blood cell casts in post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis, and also to whether kidney damage is present, looking for proteinuria. Number four, a hemoglobin and hematocrit to evaluate for anemia or polycythemia. And five, a lipid panel to evaluate for dyslipidemia as an additional risk factor for coronary artery disease. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. 
I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.